I love that uh, as we were being invited to consider participating in uh, kids and student ministry, uh, that Lauren said uh, a phrase that, that I don't know if it, it made sense to you, but it stood out to me because I think it connects to where we're going to in our series today on emotionally healthy discipleship. But she said, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a teacher. All you have to do, she said, is just show up. And can I suggest, men and women, that perhaps... 80%, 90%, I don't know, a pretty high percentage of the Christian life in our relationship with God is simply requiring us to just show up. Instead, we live in a world that teaches us to hide away our true selves, to pretend that somehow we've got it more together than we do, that somehow we have the strength and the wisdom to, to work harder and to try harder and to do more and to fit it all into our schedule so that someday we're going to arrive at that magic moment where it all fits together and, and we've arrived at this place where, where we're now at peace and we're happy and we're content and yet we never get there. Well, in our series on emotionally healthy discipleship, what we are learning is that when we see, what we see in Scripture is a picture of a different kind of discipleship than that with which Scazzaro, who wrote the book Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, suggests is what we in the church have become most familiar with. You see, our focus, he begins to help us to see is that in many ways we've come to overemphasize the external performance of our faith to the neglect of our own internal healthiness and maturity as believers and as followers of Jesus. And so what Scazzaro in his book, and again, I'll hold it up for you, it's emotionally healthy discipleship, and we're just using it as our, our guide to, to walk us through this current series. What he suggests in the book is, is that to pursue a more emotionally healthy discipleship, we need to learn from Jesus in new and fresh ways that maybe we've forgotten or maybe we never fully realized that truly abiding in Him and remaining in His love for us is both the foundation and the starting point for recovering not just a sense of our spirituality as Christians, but actually recovering a sense of what healthy and whole humanity was supposed to be. But in order to make this shift, he says, he helps us to see that the Bible actually points us to several skills that we can begin to develop and pursue in our lives, which begin to move us back in a, in a direction towards more healthy alignment with God's will and God's work in our lives. And the first emotionally healthy skill we looked at was abiding in Jesus and remaining in his love. It sounds very simple, and yet it's one of the hardest things for us to commit to do consistently, isn't it? And yet staying connected to Jesus and being intentional about spending time with Him, he says, is the first step in beginning to reprioritize a healthy approach, not only to our discipleship, but to what it means for us to be human. In fact, Jesus makes it very clear that it's out of our intimacy of spending intentional time with Him 
that we will see the fruitfulness of God's Spirit at work in our lives and in our relationships. And so the second skill that we explored in our series was accepting God's gift of limits. Another challenging one, right? In Jesus, we're invited to begin to shift our perspective again from from human doings to human beings. And as hard as it is for us to to willingly accept any kinds of limits in our lives, because it forces us to have to admit that we are not unlimited creatures, that the the second step in order to recover a, a healthy sense of our true humanity is to recognize that we were created by God and never intended to be the gods of our own lives. Which is then what opens the door to the third skill that we began exploring last week, discovering treasure buried in grief and loss. And we began talking last week about how we often resist grieving the losses in our lives because too often it feels like like we might lose control. The emotion and the pain and the, the fear of not knowing what comes next is so overwhelming that it's easier to distract ourselves or to avoid dealing with the emotion uh, and to try and escape into anything else but facing the reality of what's going on deep inside our hearts. And yet our ability to be able to welcome and to hold the sorrow and the pain that we feel before a loving and heavenly Father and allow Him to speak His love and His grace into our hearts and into our lives in those difficult and painful places, Schizero says, is the central work of Christian discipleship. Because we realize that it's in these seasons of confusion, it's in these moments of deep pain, it's in these moments where we come to the very end of ourselves that we come face to face with the cross of Jesus Christ. And yet he says it's in the very cross of Jesus Christ that we discover the resurrecting power of God to bring us out of the depths of darkness and death and into the newness of life in his son Jesus. Which is the good news, right? That's the gospel. And so when we remain faithful to God in the waiting, in the painful times when we want to run away and we want to escape and we want to look for comfort in other places, instead when we go to God and we allow the the difficulty of our own emotional lives to drive us into the arms of Jesus, it's in those times that we eventually begin to realize that God can even use those painful experiences of our lives to birth something completely new that we never could have thought of or imagined. And that there is always treasure buried in the midst of our grief and loss. And and we all experience grief and loss. Some of us, uh, very dramatic loss, and some of us have experienced loss recently, and we're still going through the process of grief. Some of us have, have had traumatic losses in the past, but all of us, even in minor ways, are experiencing losses as we transition from one season of life to another. And we've talked about how even as a, as a church in America and probably in the world, because of the pandemic and all the changes that have been accelerated, we're, we're in a season where we're having to grieve the loss of what was, even while we don't know what the future holds. And so even now, We're being invited to consider the possibility that God might be wanting to meet you and me in a new and a fresh way that we never could have imagined before because of the difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in. 
But what are the treasures that we can find? What do we discover if we're willing to patiently wait with God in those difficult places? Scazzaro gives several examples in his book, and today I just want to briefly walk through three of the examples that he gives. But then I want to wrap up our time with a a quick exploration of how these kinds of treasures that we discover actually help to create a pathway out of our pain and into a life of greater meaning and value and purpose in our calling and our relationship with Jesus as his disciples. The first treasure that we discover buried in the midst of our experiences of grief and loss, I want to suggest, is the gift of God himself. Right? God will reveal himself to us in new ways, ways that we, we didn't realize we were missing, ways that we didn't understand. There's, there's a new depth of our comprehension of who God is and how much he actually loves us and what he's actually done for us that, that we didn't know until we met him in those deep, dark, painful places in our own lives and in our own hearts. As we talked about last week in embracing our losses, rather than diminishing us, they actually enlarge our hearts so that we begin to see and experience God in more powerful ways than we knew before. And so when we bring our emotions of our our grief and our loss and we invite him to join us in the middle of our pain, we discover that God reveals more to us about himself and about the incredible depth and the breadth of his mercy and his love and his grace that he has for each one of us. Like Jeremiah in the Old Testament, if you know Jeremiah's story, in the midst of the tragic destruction of the whole city of Jerusalem by the Babylonians and, the, and, the, and God's temple along with it, We discover in the depths of God's love and faithfulness for his people who were sent into exile, who were living in a foreign land, whom yet God continued to communicate with and to bless, that God's love and his faithfulness are new every morning. Lamentations 3, 22 to 24 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Psalm 25, 14 tells us that the Lord confides in those who fear him, those who who love him more than, than life itself. And he makes his covenant known to them. And you may remember that Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 11, verse 27, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You see, I want to suggest for us this morning that this is the new reality that we are invited by Jesus to experience and to live into as his disciples in ways that we might not have realized were truly possible for us. When we begin to see in the midst of our own emotional pain and suffering an invitation not only to approach the cross of Christ and to identify with his pain and suffering for us, 
But we also begin to discover the incredible reality that through the cross and the resurrection, Jesus has made himself available to us in a whole new way. This is the new reality that I think the Apostle Paul was trying to capture for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 2 through 16, and if you know how the Apostle Paul writes, it's very intellectual, and it's heady, and it's very theological, and it's, it's hard to wrap our minds around it, but I want to suggest that as we read this fairly long passage this morning, I want to invite you to just listen. And as you listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, listen for the shift that has happened in his own perspective on his humanity. And the door that God has opened to a whole new experience of faith and spirituality through what Christ has accomplished for Paul and for us on the cross. He says, beginning in verse 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear, and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among, those who are among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. You see, he goes on to say, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? And in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So that we may understand what God has freely given us, the treasures that God has made available in our lives. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritualities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? He's quoting there, and his conclusion is, and if this doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what else will. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have access into the deep things of God. God says, no matter where you are, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter how dark the night of your soul is, you have the mind of Christ within you. You have access through the Holy Spirit to the depths of God's passion and compassion for you, His comfort and His love and His grace. And all you need to do is be willing to wait and just show up 
and let God do his work in you. You see, it's in the midst of our own weakness, Paul says. It's in the midst of our fear and our trembling that we come armed with nothing except the message of the cross of Christ and Him crucified, which seems like foolishness to human wisdom. But in reality, it's the very doorway for God to reveal Himself to you and to me. When we're willing to sit and to show up and to hold our pain and our suffering before God and allow Him through the Holy Spirit to enter into those secret places that are hidden away within our own hearts, God is able to reveal His love and His mercy for you and for me in powerful and new ways that we never imagined. And what Scazzaro says is it's in that process that we come to discover a depth of intimacy with God that we never knew was possible. And through the Spirit of God at work within us, we're able to search out the deep things of God and to discover that we have the very mind of Christ working within us. And then he says, it's as we discover the mind of Christ within us to guide us and to lead us into the deep things of God that we discover the second treasure that we can find in the Bible is that we discover that God makes our hearts softer and more compassionate in the process. David said, a broken and contrite spirit, God, you will not despise. Henry Nouwen says the degree to which we grieve our own losses is in direct proportion to the depth and the quality of the compassion that we can offer others. And Scazzaro says in his book, Absorbing Our Own Pain, where he's referencing Jerry Sitzer's story about losing his family, absorbing our own pain, we are better able to enter the pain of others. But you see, if we run from our pain, if we avoid our pain, if we don't process our grief and we don't bring to God all that we are and all that we're suffering with and allow Him to do His work in us, then what happens is when we see other people, people's pain, we don't have the skills to cope with it. We don't know how to deal with it. We haven't been taught by God how to process it, and so we run away from each other as well. And so the Apostle Paul describes God as the one who guides us in this process. You may remember the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, where he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because He's the Father of compassion. And He's the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received by God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. You see, as Jesus invites us as his disciples to follow him to the cross, and to see our sufferings as part of Jesus' divine suffering for the sins of the whole world. So in Jesus' humanity, he makes our suffering a part of his suffering. So that what we receive in him is a comfort that we cannot receive in any other way. 
And so our participation to participate in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus isn't about us in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own righteousness, and trying to be good enough as Christians to build a stairway to heaven. But it's an invitation to understand that we're willing to to accept God's gift of limits and and to allow God to come into those dark and painful places that that it's his resurrection power that's the only thing that will save us. And it's the only doorway that leads us to the life that we really want. And it's as we experience God's tender mercies and his unfailing love for us in the midst of the most difficult and painful places of our lives, that God begins to soften our own hearts towards others and allows us to have eyes of compassion because we can not only sympathize with what other people are going through, but we can empathize with them because we know what it feels like. Because we've been there. And God is the one who's helped us through. And so God takes us through our pain and suffering to a deeper level of emotional and spiritual maturity that we can then begin to offer others in the midst of their own suffering and pain. And so in the process of God softening our hearts and giving us hearts of compassion for the brokenness that we see in the world around us, we begin to discover the third treasure hidden in our experiences of grief and loss. And that is God also gives us a greater revelation of ourselves. And can I suggest for us that all the time that we spend looking in the mirror, we're really not looking at who we really are. But God knows who you really are. And God loves who you really are. And God created who you really are. And he gave his life to set who you really are free so that you can be who you really are and experience the life that he gave his life for you to experience. Suffering, grief, and loss can surface in us places where our own self-will continues to remain firmly embedded. Places where we still maintain unhealthy attachments and coping mechanisms in our lives that we're trying to fix it and put band-aids on it rather than going to God and allowing Him in God's wisdom and through God's Spirit to fix it. And these places are places where we begin to recognize that further growth and maturity in emotional and spiritual health need to continue to be tended within us. But when we allow God to begin to do his pruning work within us, he helps us to become healthier and to become more emotionally mature so that our lives, Jesus said, ultimately become more fruitful for his kingdom. I love this quote from Scazzaro in his book. He says, loss cuts something out of us. Much as a gardener cuts back a plant for greater fruit, God does something in us through the fire of sorrow that enlarges our capacity to wait 
and to surrender to His will. In the emptiness of our loss, God fills us with His life, creating within us a new capacity for greater fruitfulness. You see, I want to suggest for us this morning that that it's as if Jesus invites you and me to bring forward the very brokenness and woundedness of our souls as the very things that God wants to use to bring help and healing to those around us. But that can be a scary proposition, right? Because it means we actually have to show up with our woundedness in our brokenness, and hold that difficult, painful place for God to heal. But what we find, if we, if we allow ourselves to wait in that place and to allow God through His Spirit to do that work, is that less and less, over time, do we need to wear the masks that we wear to present a good face to others or even to ourselves as we look in the mirror because God's love and God's grace are allowing us to become more and more our most truest and honest self as created by God and redeemed by His Son, Jesus. Through the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we realize that God is transforming those broken places in our lives into the very gifts that he gives us to give away, to be a blessing to others around us. You may remember the story of Jesus and his disciples after the resurrection, right, where he appeared to them in the midst of their own fear and their own doubt and their own trembling because they were following what they thought, who they thought was the Messiah, but all of a sudden he dies and he's put into a, a tomb and he's dead and he's gone. And now what are they going to do? God, this isn't what we thought you were promising us. This isn't where we thought our lives were going to go. We were going to sit with Jesus on his left and right hand when he came into his glory. And we were going to rule the world with Israel, right? How could the, the Messiah die? And yet in verse 19 of John 20, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Quick question. What did Jesus do to comfort his disciples and to help them overcome their fear and doubt? Did you catch it? He first comes and he gives words, right? Hey, peace be with you. But apparently words were not enough because he had to say it twice. (laughs) But in between the words that he said, because the words were perhaps not enough to convince them, what does it say he did? It says he showed them his wounds, his hands and his side that were pierced, the Old Testament says, for our transgressions. 
And just like the risen Jesus who showed his wounds to his disciples while they were waiting in the upper room, in the confusing and the painful time, in the midst of their grief and loss, in the in-between time between Jesus' death and his resurrection, he sends us too into the world to show people our wounds. as a testimony, not of our greatness and power, but of His. Amen? But in order to be willing to show each other our wounds, men and women, we've got to become emotionally healthy and mature people. And we've got to allow God to do that healing work within us because if we don't, we know, we've said this before, right? Hurt people, hurt people. And yet healed people heal people. If you weren't with it, able to be with us on Thursday night, Brad Hostack did a great job in our Cove Talk in talking about emotionally healthy teens and how we as parents and grandparents and adults can learn better how to show up for our teens. But, but also he said this is, this is a helpful information for all of us, right? It's not just our teens who need emotionally emotional help in getting healthy. He said the reality is that every day, no matter who you are, which means everyone sitting in this room today, right? There's a battle that is raging inside of us. And he shared this slide with us, and I just wanted to share it with you and see how you resonate with this slide. See, he said with mental health, everyone is fighting an invisible battle. And we like to show people all the stuff that's above the surface, but all the while we pretend that the stuff that's going on underneath the surface either isn't really there or we try and medicate it or escape it through workaholism or substance abuse or entertainment or shopping or food or all the things that we as Christians in our culture and the culture in which we live are chasing after, hoping that it's going to somehow satisfy us at some point. And all the while, as the one place that I would suggest God has designed and equipped to address these deeper issues in people's lives is a very place where we've forgotten how to do that ourselves. And so we come to church and we put on the masks and, and we pretend that we're good Christians and, and that we commit to doing our duty and we overemphasize the performance of our faith, but all the while our souls are languishing and we're living on empty gas tanks and we're wondering why we are struggling so mightily to make it through life in this world, all the while we've forgotten the very truth that God has revealed from before the creation of the world, that there's only one place you can go. And his name is Jesus. But if you're willing to come to Jesus and to, to come to the cross and to, to be willing to die to yourself, to come alive to the new thing that God wants to do in you, he says there is help and there is hope for all of those things that, that are buried deep within the painful, suffering places within our own soul.
I love that Brad shared some of brain science, too, because it's always interesting to me how science is always catching up with the Bible. <laughs> he said, our brains are actually wired to respond to love and empathy, even when we're in the middle of despair. Our brains are wired to respond to love and empathy, even when we're in the middle of despair. And so maybe the question we need to ask is not how do we grow the church to, to, to get back to 300 or 400 or 500 people, and how do we grow the budget to be able to afford all the staff people that we're losing, <laughs> but maybe the questions we need to ask to begin to shift our perspective is how do we begin to show up for one another in new ways? How do we begin to expose our wounds as a testimony of God's love and grace in our lives to give other people hope? How do we begin to see what other people are struggling with, those deep things below the surface through eyes of grace, and rather than judging their, their behavior, we see beyond their circumstances and their behavior with eyes of compassion to know how hard and painful and difficult it is just to live life in this world. In that process, we might need to learn again how to, how to listen. Because most of us are good talkers, but we're not very good listeners. In fact, I, I'm going through some coach training right now to be able to uh, hopefully work with other people in, in, in kind of spiritual and leader and life coaching. And, and one of the things that they identify is that most of us, while we're listening to other people speak, we're actually thinking about what we want to say when they're done talking. Right? guilty. <laughs> How do we become good listeners? And who are we willing to show our wounds? Going all the way back to the first week in this series, I want to suggest like Martha and Mary, we have a choice to make. What is going to be the source of of your life? What is going to be the source of your ministry, your service for God and what God is calling you to do and to be? What is going to be the source of who you are and who you are becoming? Is it going to continue to be yourself? Are you the source of your life in Christ? Are you going to be the source for accomplishing your greatest hopes and your dreams and the things that you believe God has called you to do? Because the reality is that today, many of us are trying that and what we're experiencing is daily levels of fatigue and exhaustion and burnout with physical symptoms of stress and pressure and anxiety as well as mental and emotional challenge that, that lead us to a lack of emotion, a lack of motivation and a lack of clear direction in where we're going in life and we're trying to live life and do marriage and family and extended family and church and work and, and, and find happiness on emotionally empty gas tanks. And every person I talk to, and I haven't found one that hasn't admitted that we're all in the same boat. This is life today. And is it possible that in this, this malaise that we're experiencing is an invitation of God to shift our perspective to, to something new that he wants to do in you and in me and in us together? 
You see, all the while, if we go back to the Bible and we remember the words of Jesus and we try to get back on track with truly following him as his disciples, we learn that he has said from the beginning and from generation to generation that effective doing for God must flow out of effective time being with God. There's no other way to do it. The two can't be separated. And I think this is what Scazzaro is getting at in his book, where he says we cannot separate our spiritual maturity from our emotional maturity. It's impossible to be spiritually mature if you're not also emotionally mature. And so the bottom line, the takeaway for us today, and then we'll wrap up quickly because the kids are coming back. If you want to know more where Jesus is leading you, you have to get closer to Jesus and know him more. If you want to know more where Jesus is leading you, you have to get closer to Jesus and know him more. I'm going to say it one more time, then I'm going to pray for us. If you want to know more where Jesus is leading you, you have to get closer to Jesus and know him more. And men and women, that is something that we as a church should be really good at helping people to do. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you that even in the midst of our darkest and most painful places, you meet us there and you invite us to entrust our lives to you. And so, God, give us the courage in this season again. Give us courage as we go from this place today to trust you and to take you at your word that if we are willing to show up with you, to be our true, wounded, broken selves with you, and to stay in that difficult place long enough for you to do your work within us, we will trust that you will use even those broken places to transform us, to be a blessing to those around us. And so, God, we need your mercy and your grace. We need the presence of your Spirit, and we need the mind of Christ at work within us. And so we give ourselves to you again today and ask that you would do that work, knowing that without you, we can do nothing. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.